Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. We've seen over the last several weeks this dual-edged sword of Hebrews where there's both warning and encouragement. Warning and encouragement. And we see that the purpose of this is that we are not to have a passive faith as Christians. Genuine Christianity are not simply drifting through life. Not simply drifting through life, but we are daily pursuing our great king. The one who has conquered death and the grave. And maybe you're visiting this morning as a guest, and it's been quite some time since maybe you've sat in a church. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here today, and we encourage you to test your view of Jesus. Even test your faith against what the Scripture says genuine saving faith is. Now, we won't have all the answers to your questions, but we'd love to begin this conversation with you today as we read God's Word. Now, again, the context of this section is that he has just, at the beginning of chapter 1, talked about Jesus is more superior than the angels. He made this argument that he is more superior than the angels because of his position as enthroned son in chapter 1. And then we just finished the warning passage that we are not to drift from this message. And here we see today this, this concept of Jesus being better than the angels because he actually is the better Adam. Look there with me at God's word. For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This section begs the questions of what is the purpose of humanity? Why were you giving breath? Why did God form you in your mother's womb? You see, purpose is a question that we ask whether we're five or whether we're 70. What about you? Have you ever asked this question, what is my purpose? Why do I have breath and life? If you have, then you need to pay attention because we see a very clear answer for us in the scriptures today. We'll see this one essential truth that comes forward. Jesus came to claim the role that Adam failed And we fail to fulfill. Jesus came claiming the role that we and Adam have failed to fulfill. And we see this very clearly there in verse 5. He he asked this question, For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come. So it begs the question, Who did he then subject the world to come? What's interesting is, is this section of scripture that the author of Hebrew uses, I don't think intentionally is pointing to Jesus till the end. I think he's reminding all of us of what Psalm 8 tells us. It's a creation psalm filled with so many truths. And so we need to look at Psalm 8 in order to understand what the author of Hebrews is doing there. So if you would, flip with me to Psalm 8 in your in your scripture. Psalm chapter 8. We heard it read earlier, but I want to highlight a few things for us. It's on page 450 if you're in the Black Bibles, the Pew Bibles. Again, this was written by King David. And he's crying and says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes 
to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place. So he set in a scene for him. David says he's a guy who's been out there as a shepherd. He's seen the vast amount of stars. He's seen the, the magnitude of space itself. And he's asking this very question, what is man? Better yet, he's probably saying, who am I? Compared to these stars and the vastness of this world. What is man, oh God, that you would be mindful of him? Or the son of man, that you would care for him? This idea of the son of man here is what we would call all human beings. But look at verse 5. Yet you have made him. Speaking specifically of Adam and his role, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all oxen and sheep. And he goes on to list many of the things. How interesting that the author of Hebrews, when speaking about Jesus, who is more superior to the angels, he would remind all of us that we have missed our purpose. We have missed our purpose. And this quotation from Psalm 8 shows us and reminds us of back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. See, God created all things and he said it was good and he created man and he says it was very good. And then we see in chapter 2 that he created man with an intentional purpose to exercise dominion over his creation. This idea of dominion is that Adam was to be a, a, a vice regent, a, a co-ruler of the earth as a representative of God himself. We see this in even that God gave him the ability to name the animals. We must understand that human beings have been given great purpose as the image bearers of God. We've all been called to be those who through our ruling and exercising dominion over the earth reflect our maker. Oh, how much we underestimate our calling. If I were to ask you this question who am I? How would you answer that? Would you define your very existence and purpose by your relationships? Well, I am a father. I am a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm the child of John. Would you, would you, or maybe you would define yourself by the awards or the accolades that you've received. I've done this great thing. I used to be this. I now can call myself a Marine. Is this how we define ourselves? Or maybe you define yourself by your existence of your vocation or your job. I'm a teacher. I'm a city worker. I'm a mom. You see, we're always trying to define who we are. And here's the interesting thing. You always fall short if you think that's the definition of who you are. Psalm 8 is a declaration that you've actually, as an image bearer of God, as one who's been given the right and responsibility to exercise dominion over this earth on a representative of God, you fail if you think you're merely a mom or a dad or you're defining yourself by your vocation. These things are not wrong or wicked, but they fall so short of what you've actually been called to be. And you're more than likely, be able to, you've experienced this in some way. I don't know about you, but I get to the end of a long day. And sometimes I get to the end of it, I just feel empty. I poured my soul out of whatever I might be. And if I'm not careful, I might simply say, well, I just need to change jobs because the job's not fulfilling me. Or I need to change cities because this city just doesn't have what, you know, satisfies me. 
or worse yet, maybe say, I need to, I need to find a new wife or I need to find a new family because, you know, this family just isn't fulfilling. And the reality of all those things that we experience and the emptiness that we feel screams of Psalm 8 that you've short-sighted what you really have been given breath for. We live in a culture that defines me by what we want. And God says that's the very essence of the fall. Where you get to define things for yourself. Have you felt that emptiness? How about it, moms? Labor all day with your children. And yet you still feel empty. All of this emptiness reminds us. That we, like the first Adam, we have been called to be representatives of God, exercising dominion and rule over this world. But look there again with me at the text. Look at verse 8 again. It says, but now in putting subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. But at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. Have you felt that? Have you felt the world kind of pushing back on you? As if it's stronger than you? See, the entire earth and all of us have been sent into this searching for purpose and destiny. But the problem is, is we've tried to define it apart from God. This is the very thing Adam and Eve did in the garden. They tried to define good and evil apart from God being the one who gave them purpose. And no matter this, everything you try to accomplish on this earth can simply be summed up in a short eulogy at your funeral. Have you thought about that? You could spend 80 years serving, giving, and it can be summed up in a 10-minute eulogy at your funeral. What kind of life would that be? You see, because death is the great equalizer of all human beings. No matter how much we say we can accomplish or how much we do accomplish, death is the equalizer of all men and all women. You see, death exposes the fact that we have fallen short of our purpose. What's interesting is if you look just a little further, next week we'll see this, that that actually the devil says he has the power of death. He is the one who's called the power of the prince of the air. He has the power of death and he dangles it over the human race. How? How would he do so? Well, we could look at the scriptures and see multiple times where the serpent, the devil, the one in the garden is called to the ruler of this world. John does it twice in John 12, 31 and 14, 30. But I think he shows it this this most clearly by Ephesians. Ephesians in chapter 2, Paul speaks of... The power of the prince of the air. Listen to the words that will be up on the screen. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Here it is. Following the prince of the power of the air. What is this? It's the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan's power of death is the fact that you and I delight to disobey God. The very thing we've been called to do. Obey. Exercise dominion. To work. As God's representative, we have failed. Adam failed. I've failed. You failed. We call this sin. Sin entered the world and has wreaked havoc ever since that moment in the garden. Destroying all of us. Making all of us want to define ourselves by some outfit or some last name or some occupation. 
But I know you've experienced what I've experienced, the emptiness of chasing after those things. Interestingly enough, this text doesn't end here, does it? I would argue this first section really is referencing human beings. That we have failed. That we failed to exercise the control that God gave us over the world. He did not give it to the angels. He gave it to us. And because we failed, something had to happen. But something did happen. Look there in verse 9. It says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus. See, Christ had to come into the world because we've sinned, because we failed to function as the co-rulers with God. And we recognize this. Nothing's in control in this world. Principalities, nations, individuals were still disobedient. So it appears as if the promise of Psalm 8 has not happened. And what's interesting is there's this, there's this kind of two-sided delay because we still experience that. Though Jesus has already come, it can happen in two ways. There's the person who, and maybe you're in this room, and you don't worship God. You don't pursue him. Because, I mean, he's not coming back. It's taken so long, 2,000 years. So you just continue to chase immorality. But I'm fearful more for the church. For those of us in this room who love the Lord. But we tend to fear as we look around this world. And this text is going to offer us greater confidence to be bold in Christ. You see, there's no need to fear because we know what Hebrews chapter 1 says, that he's already ascended to the seat and that he's what? He's seated there. It's complete. It's finished. He's done the work. So what has Jesus done? Well, it tells us there in verse 9, it tells us that he, for a while, was made lower than the angels. Speaking of his birth, God took on flesh. The king of glory, who we just sang about, the one who reigns over all things, clothed himself in flesh. We've seen Hebrews describe this Jesus before. Look back at Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse 2. It says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Who is the son? He is the one whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making intercession, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Christ came. But if you ask yourself, why did Christ come? It's because you and I have failed to carry out our purpose. You and I have failed to live as co-rulers with God on this earth. We have failed to humble ourselves in submission and obedience to him. You have failed. I have failed. But Christ As Brandon was saying, this is not a reaction to the fact that we failed, but this is the glorious news that God from the foundations of the world purposed that his son would come. And he came for a little while, lowering himself to the lower than the angels. How beautiful is this portrait that Christ humbled himself to be born in the flesh. Humbled himself. Humble himself, born of the flesh, so that he might become the new and better Adam. 
That's what this text is beginning to scream at us, is that just like Paul says in Romans, we needed a better Adam. We needed a better representative. We needed a better head. We needed a better person to exemplify and purchase us back. But look at the text. Look at verse 9. It says, but we see him for a little while who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. This word because here, it shows that that the reasons he has glory and honor is because of his death. See, death is the climax. It is the culmination of all the frustrations of humanity experienced due sin. And how is it, how is it that his death was a sign of glory and honor? Was it not in his resurrection? The very thing we're celebrating today, the resurrection testifies that what he did was not for his own sake, but for all who would believe in him. And the scriptures say, especially in Philippians 2, it says he humbled himself to the point of a servant, even death on the death on a cross. And the Father has given him a name that is above every name. Because this King of glory did not only look out for himself, but he looked out for those who would believe in him. He stepped into the role that we have failed to fulfill. He stepped into the vocation that we never understood. He stepped into the purposes that God had designed and fulfilled what we could not. His resurrection declares his victorious reign is real. But not only that, it was the glory and honor because he didn't do so for his own sake. Slide a little bit further in this chapter. Look at verse 10. We're going to really look at these verses next week, but I just want to bring them out as they're important for our understanding today. It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through Suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. Think of it this way. Not too long ago, our dear friend, Pastor Anon, and his family were here. He is by nationality a Honduran, born in that country. This is where his citizenship is, as far as his earthly realm is concerned. Now imagine I went down to Honduras they're right in fiction to have an election. I think they just had their election. Imagine I showed up in Honduras and I got the loudest microphone and paid the most money and had all the TV stations pointing at me. And I began to try to say, well, you know what? I think you should vote for this person. I think you should do this. What do you think those Hondurans would do if an American went down there and tried to show them and tell them what to do? They would look at me and they'd say, you're not one of us. You don't know our struggle. You don't know what's going on. You don't know where our hurts and our pains are and what we need or we don't need. You have no voice because you're not like us. But you know, that's not how Christ is. This idea that he was made lower than the angels and one of Hebrews' big truths is that he was made and he was made exactly like you and me in every respect. He knows your pain. He knows your temptation, yet he was without sin. This is the only way that he could be our better Adam, is if he was exactly like you and me. For 33 years, he had breath in his lungs. 
hunger pains, struggles of seeing a world that seemed like it was out of control. And yet he humbled himself so that through the suffering of death, he might bring many of sons and daughters to glory. This beautiful glory that we see here in chapter 9 in honor is that he willingly stepped down from heaven of his own accord. He was not forced, but he willingly did so, clothing himself in flesh, seeing and experiencing the things that you and I struggle with daily. You know, and he did this for one express purpose, to claim the rights that Adam failed to fulfill. He is now the ruler of this earth. We'll see next week how he takes the power of death from Satan in this way. Jesus is the representative man who fulfilled the vocation of the ruler of humankind. And he did this for us. Look there again with me at nine. Jesus tasted this death for us. Says he was made lower, namely his incarnation. He was crowned with glory because of the suffering of his death, his death and his resurrection. So that, so the purpose of all these things, the reason this came about, the, the design of God from the foundations of the world is so that by grace he might taste death for everyone. Do you realize we were just singing at some level God's eulogy? We were just singing a man of sorrows, a man consumed by death. You know, but here's the amazing thing. Our eulogy might be heard for 10 minutes. And if we're lucky, maybe it'll record it in some history book or some family. But this man's eulogy is forever being sang because he's no longer in the grave. Instead, he's risen victoriously. And now he sits at the right hand of the father and he says, forever I will reign. Resurrection has happened. He has tasted death completely as a man, fully as a man. What's interesting is if you look at the first chapter as it speaks about God and angels and Christ and angels, he is highlighting his divinity, his idea of his sonship of the father. But then in chapter two, this week and next week, he's really emphasizing his humanity. That he became exactly like you and I. Why? Because that was the only way that his death would be a sufficient death for our death. And it was, brothers and sisters, it was, dear friends, it was a sufficient death for all who would believe. Death deserved by human beings can only be undone by another human being. But he wasn't just a human being. He was our representative. He was the stood there in our place. And here's the best news of all. Jesus defeated death, not simply by dying, but by rising again. This is what we celebrate today. Jesus' death, however, was not the end of this story. We know, we've seen, where he quoted from Psalm 110, verse 1, a little bit earlier, that he's now seated at the right hand. And the role ascribed to you and I as human beings in creation, that Psalm 8 describes just a second, it reminds us that all of that was realized and fulfilled not in you or me, but in Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the role of Psalm 8. This is what he's reminding us of here. And now all of his enemies... 
we see are not fully subjected to him. See, Hebrews has this interesting tension, right, of the already not yet. He's already risen and he's already seated, but maybe you and I, we're still experiencing the brokenness of this world and the hardships of this world. Maybe you at work, you struggle. You struggle to see and find fulfillment and purpose. And it's still because we're trying to see and push back the darkness apart from our king. Our king who has conquered death. Remarkably, Jesus rules over everything. And the scriptures tell us that one day he will return and he will make all things new. But you know what? He's already started. Do you know the one place we can understand where we can see that he is making all things new? Where can we see the beginning of the new creation? In you. And in me. Where we're no longer like Ephesians 2. We're no longer following the power of the prince of this air, the spirit of son and disobedience that is in us. But instead, you and I, we're a testimony that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Why? Because I've been given new life. Because I've been made alive in Christ. Because now I live as if I have already defeated death because he did it for me. Do you walk around defeated? Or do you walk around, as Romans says, a conqueror? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Are we afraid to be evangelistic for him? Are we afraid to to give all of ourselves to him? Because maybe it just will not pan out. But we need to understand that Christ fulfilled the role of Psalm 8. He fulfilled the role of Adam and you and I that we failed to fulfill. Maybe you're like Paul in Romans 8. Excuse me, Romans 7. I love this section in Romans Maybe you still feel the effects of sin in your life. But I love how Paul emphasizes this for us in Romans 7. Here's what he says. So I find it to be a law when I want to do right. Evil lies close at hand. He's talking about, I know Christ is risen. I know Christ is ascended. But I still have this struggle with evil that's around me and still shows itself in me. He says, for I delight in the law of the Lord and my inward being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? Have you been there? Moms, when you're yelling at your kid and you just feel like you're you're at the end of your ropes and you're like, oh, this is not what it was intended. Dads, when you're out of the world and you're working and the world's pushing back at you and you feel, oh, wretched man, oh, who will save me from this body of death? And Hebrews says, Jesus has. Jesus has rescued you from this body of death. You are no longer defined by the moments of your day, but the one who became flesh. He is our victorious king. He is the better Adam. You are freed from the power of death, brothers and sisters. And Jesus Christ not only frees us from death by our repentance and faith, but the spirit that rose him from the grave is at work in us, that we too can walk humbly with the Lord. What's beautiful about Hebrews is that it shows us throughout this book, That we follow the same path he did. 
that we lower ourselves unto humility, suffering because we know we've been given something greater than anything this world has. The Christian can think of a million reasons why he or she has suffered great loss, but Jesus says, no, there is a crown coming, and I know it's coming because I've purchased it for you. Brothers and sisters, we are no longer to find our identity and purpose in anything apart from Christ because Jesus has come as our better Adam. As the ruler we could not be, as the one in perfect communion with the Father, he has fulfilled it for us. But my question is, do you still find emptiness? And what are you doing with it? Are you trying to mask it with more work? Or are you perpetually changing your job because you think your job is the definition of who you are? Are you deep down in the back of your mind sitting on the couch wondering, I wonder if I married the wrong one? What this text reminds you is that this is not the core of who you are. That if you're in Christ by repentance and faith, if you've turned from your sin and you are clinging to all that Jesus is and has been for us in his death and in his resurrection, then you've been given with Christ a name. A name that is forever. You've been called a child of God. Brothers, sisters, we can find courage in this today. Courage to now live your life no longer for yourself, but for him who has set you free. Courage to be an evangelist to your neighbors. Courage to go and give of all of yourself for all of him. For 1 Corinthians tells us, does it not? That if we labor for the Lord, we never labor what? In vain. But in the back of our mind, we still are worried about death. Death has been conquered. The tomb is empty. Turn from running after empty pursuits of riches or fame and look to the eternal hope in Christ, the better Adam, who through the suffering of death has made a way for our salvation. Do you know him? Do you believe in him? I pray we do. But may I remind you, as the author of Hebrews does, that we can't just claim him with a word without a life that is sold out for him. There is no such thing as a passive faith. Our daily pursuit of God means we daily die to ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. Is that you today? What are you doing with the emptiness you've experienced? There is only one safe place that we can run to. And this is to trust in Christ and in Christ alone. For everything apart from him is vanity. Ecclesiastes tells us. Will you consider this king of glory who humbled himself and became a servant and willingly took the death Of all who would believe. O death. Where is your sting? For it has been swallowed up in Christ. And his resurrection. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church. Feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.